Okay, we're out hiking the dish. 7 a.m. You guys wearing your wearables? What are you wearing? I've got my Apple Watch on. And I've got my Aura ring on. Wait, was that you snoring? Maybe. Hi there. I'm Caetano Malone. And I'm Wynn Ellis. This is Taking the Pulse. And today we're talking about wearable fitness devices and people's relationship to them. You might know them as Apple Watches, Fitbits, or Aura Rings. And for the most part, they are positive tech companions for the health conscious. However, we were also somewhat surprised about what we discovered. Oh, and by the way, Caetano, I don't wear an Apple Watch. Depending on the wrists or fingers they end up on, each person will have a completely different relationship with their wearable based on their own priorities. And that is what we are exploring today. So why do we wear these devices in the first place? On the surface, they seem super useful, but what is the actual effect they have over us? We set out to find these answers. Oh, and by the way, I do wear an Apple Watch, but more on that in just a bit. Let's start things off by listening to what some of our wearable wearing friends have to say. I am a bit of a health nut and having access to real-time data is the goal in managing health. What I really wanted was a smartwatch with a side of fitness tracker. And so that is when I switched to the Apple Watch. I guess I could have just calculated my heart rate by putting my two fingers on the wrist, but it just seems so much more convenient to like look at my watch and have it tell me that. I just really like the display. I like seeing the weather, the date, how much battery it has, oh, on top of the time. I think it's very cool. So as you can hear, these people really love their wearables. What do we know about the big picture numbers when it comes to these gadgets? Well, according to a study funded by the National Institutes of Health, over 30% of adults in the U.S. use fitness trackers. I thought it might be higher than that. That's true. It's not a large share. But researchers have forecasted that compared to the year 2016, the market for wearables will jump nearly 700% in 2025. Wow, that's amazing. So let me tell you about my friend Brett. He's a healthcare executive, most recently for a hospital group. He's in his 50s, really fit, and totally obsessed with his aura ring. He uses it for a lot of things, but mostly he relies on it to track his sleep, and according to him, sets his mood for the rest of the day. You've got your resting heart rate and your HRV and your resiliency and your sleep efficiency and your REM sleep. How accurately can it predict that? I don't know, but I feel like it's accurate in validating my experience. This is real time that you're showing me. This, this Brett is real. got his iPhone out. So I'm going to... Or an app. There are three key factors that it measures. So sleep, let's look at this. And you can see that total sleep, time in bed, sleep efficiency... Resting heart rate, which is a critical feature. You can see here, 52 beats per minute. My resting heart rate was not low enough last night. And you see, I got a sleep score of 77. That's actually not very good. Had the Sunday scaries, it looks like. <laughs> I must have had the Sunday scaries. The other thing that you can go into is you get blue and red scores on total sleep, efficiency, restfulness, REM sleep, deep sleep, latency. See what I mean? He's really into it. And seriously... He could be a spokesperson for the Aura Ring. Actually, they should ask him. He'd totally say yes. If I was wearing the watch and I got nine hours and it tells me I got one hour of deep sleep, I'm gonna think that I feel horrible. But I think that if I wasn't wearing the watch, I wouldn't really know. That's my friend Brandon. He has sleep apnea, 
and it's important for him to be able to track his sleep, which he does through his Apple Watch and an app called Auto Sleep. But then if I see that I have one hour of deep sleep, you might just feel that you have a bad day and then I have a negative outlook as soon as I wake up, even though I've got nine hours. I project my feelings. I get the way I feel out of this device. Hmm, did you ever think a watch would have that kind of power over you? Whatever happened to listening to your body? I mean, I know when I'm hungry and I know when I'm tired and when I need to move, I think. I'm starting to realize that there may be a little more to this story. Beyond anecdotes, let's do a little research. <laughs> okay, okay, that's enough. In our research, we found Anna Lemke. She wrote a book called Dopamine Nation. She's a psychiatrist at the Stanford Med School who studies addictive behaviors like drugs and gambling and other things that give us dopamine hits, including, guess what? Smartwatches? Exactly. And apparently we can become compulsively fixated on these wearable devices. And they've even, imagine this, drugified exercise. We wanted to hear from someone who's experienced this feeling of addictiveness from wearables. Ella's what you might now call a casual user of an Apple Watch. She likes the ability to pay at the grocery store and leave her phone behind. But in the past, she used to track long distance runs with not one, but two smartwatches. And we asked her about that. I think if you are a 17 year old who's already kind of struggling with food and an unhealthy relationship to exercise, having that reminder on your wrist all the time and having notifications all the time and having that the power to also connect that to food tracking apps and activity tracking apps I think that is too much I think it's really important to have and really helpful to have these tools that we have at our disposal and I think if you are someone who is not necessarily as in touch with that that does have implications for society and how young people are interacting with their bodies and exercise and food. Just listening to all these stories made me realize that there are so many different ways that these issues can manifest and that every user has their own story. When I got my Apple Watch at the beginning of my senior year of high school, I became so obsessed with completing all the goals it threw at me. The most egregious example is the stand goal, which requires you to move around for at least 30 seconds every hour. I figured that I could just move my forearm around for a little while and the watch would record my standing. And this worked, but I was just lying to myself for no benefit. Yeah, I think what reels people in is that these devices don't just record your behavior, they influence it and keep you coming back. I remember Brett talked about seeing results of a really good sleep day on his Aura app and getting a little crown, which really excited him. About that, my friend George has mixed feelings about his wearables attempt to encourage him. I get you know, a little dopamine boost when I get the fireworks and everything on my watch. Like, oh my goodness, you completed all three of your objectives. That's amazing. But at the same time, that's extremely patronizing. I'm like, may I swear? I think like, Fuck you watch, shut up. Don't tell me what to do. I love the badges. I think they are so prettily designed. I think they're so pretty. When they sparkle in the rainbow, like confetti firework sparkles, it looks like little sparks. It's very satisfying. This really got us thinking about how much is too much with these wearable gadgets. Should the manufacturers give warnings to users as to the risks we heard about? Also, what's happening to all this data? 
Speaking of all this data, we tracked down the preeminent expert on wearable tech, Dr. Michael Snyder. Everyone we spoke with said he was the interview to get. And from what I learned, he wouldn't necessarily agree with the framing of your questions. I'm Michael Snyder. I'm chair of the genetics department at Stanford School of Medicine. I also direct the Center for Genomics and Personalized Medicine. So I walk into the interview, and Dr. Snyder has four smart watches on his wrists, two on each side, and a hearing aid that is not just a hearing aid, but also a sensor of some sort. And I later learned he has a glucose patch on his arm that he never takes off. So this guy is data central. He's recording everything about his health. To him, there is no such thing as too much data. Never enough data. You cannot have enough data. And where we're going with this interview, I believe, is wearables. And wearables are fantastic because they follow you constantly. They're making lots of measurements. And it's very easy to see if your health goes off. You'll see a shift in physiological parameters, which you can pick up with a simple smartwatch. The analogy I like to use is a car. Your car has a ton of sensors. Race cars have 400 sensors on them. You don't have 400 dials all showing up on the dashboard. You have a simple dashboard that integrates all that information. So I think that's the level at which you need most of the stuff. And then if something goes off, then you dig a little deeper. Okay, let's step back for a second from this car analogy. Some users we interviewed expressed that info from their sensors were not beneficial and contributed to them being less in touch with their bodies. Snyder clearly wants to help people become healthier through these devices, but how can we reconcile these two opposing perspectives? He personally feels that these metrics have helped diagnose his own health struggles, including diabetes and even Lyme disease. So clearly this debate is only beginning. But what does he think? I think it's the future. I mean, I do think just like you don't drive your car around without a dashboard and the sensors on it, why would you do that for your health? They're doing some amazing things at the Snyder Lab. And if anyone's interested in learning more, check out his website. He's an open book. As a matter of fact, the business card he handed me is just a QR code linking to all his personal health data. So what have we learned so far? What do we make of all this? I think I've discovered that everyone has their own complicated relationship with their fitness device, whether it helps them get through the day or if they have a deep distrust of the information it's throwing at them. Maybe we're being too cynical about this, but one thing I just realized is that I'm not even wearing my watch anymore. And all these conversations and research has kind of changed my mindset about this. Well, my mindset is changing too. As someone who struggles with sleep, I'm curious how an aura ring might help me. Isn't that rich? In this conversation, in these questions you've asked me, I almost feel as if I'm moving in the direction of not wearing the watch at all now because I should just listen to my body. I really need to reevaluate my relationship that I have with this wearable. Until next time, this is Taking the Pulse. Taking the Pulse was written and produced by Wynne Ellis and Kaitana Malone for the Stanford Storytelling Project. Music from Blue Dot Sessions and Affix Twin. A special thank you to Laura Davis and our Sound Stories class for their valuable feedback.